Welcome to today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Ernie Furt, tax partner at FL, who's in for Michael Newton on this edition. Ernie, welcome back. Thanks. It's good to be here. Today on the program, we're talking about art. I'm not sure if you're a big art enthusiast, Ernie. I could certainly use more art in my life, but Guillaume Parra, the founder of Galea, uh, wants to do just that. He wants to put uh, more art in, in all of our lives and all of our workplaces. I think it's a great thing to do. Uh, you know what? Uh, looking at four bare walls is not fun, so it's great to have something to look at, and why not art? Yeah, it's a, it's an online gallery. It's a distribution network. Uh, 9,000 artists in his in his network showcasing 50,000 pieces of art in 40 countries. Just really incredible product. It's uh, art tech, really. And so we'll get to Guillaume uh, in a few minutes. And later in the program, we'll talk about HR as well and uh, recruiting in the current environment and how that can uh, pose some challenges, and we'll talk about integrity especially. Natalie Perkhart uh, of Pivisio by FL Montreal talks about that and um, how she's seeing some new things, I would say, in, in the HR process that we haven't seen before under the circumstances, so that's coming up later in the program. But first, thought leadership, and since we're talking about art today, I wanted to get to NFTs, Ernie, and cryptocurrency, and basically digital assets. Now, in the last couple of years, especially during the pandemic, I would love to know from you how often this is coming up in people's tax plans. Are you seeing more people declaring cryptocurrencies and even NFT works of art as, as part of their, their assets? So is, is, do you see on the ground this, this, this popular uh, trend? We see, it on, we see it on the ground only in, the, in respect of the fact that the, the U.S. government has asked the question on their tax return, do, did you have any transactions in cryptocurrency during the year? Uh, Canada and the U.S. have policies with respect to taxation of transactions with crypto. So it's important that people know that, you know, transacting in crypto is not transacting in air, wind, and steam. It's actually transacting in something that's reportable on a tax return at the end of the day. So, you know, there's different ways to, to, to report it depending on what you do with it because you can have crypto as an investment then hold it then hold it and hold it in your, in your wallet or whatever you want to hold it in. Uh, and there is not, there, there's no consequence to holding it. But if you convert one cryptocurrency into another, it's kind of like converting Canadian dollars to U.S. dollars or to euros. There is a transaction gain. <clears throat> and depending on, uh, on what you do, that gain could either be a capital gain or it could be a business income gain. All kinds of guys are mining cryptocurrency. That would be business. If you're holding cryptocurrency uh, as an investment and then sell it, either convert it to Canadian dollars or convert it to another cryptocurrency, then that could be a capital gain. And does it does it matter how much you make off of it? For instance, you know, uh, over the past few months, um, if you remember the Dogecoin episode with Elon Musk, for some reason, uh, uh, myself and Mrs. Delmar decided to make a uh, bit of a, a, a wild purchase. And we actually bought some Dogecoin, uh, lost a few hundred bucks right away immediately. Total waste of time. But had we made any money, uh, let's just say we doubled our money. Maybe we made a couple hundred bucks. Um, is that something we have to declare? At what point do we have to declare crypto assets? So if, if you didn't sell them and you kept them, then there's nothing to do. If you sold them, then you got to pay tax on it as a, as a capital gain, kind of like when you sell a share or something like that. Consider it like a share. Uh, and, and then you'll pay the tax when you sell the share. Simple as that. Yeah, fair enough. And what about NFTs? So works of art that are digital. Um, people are investing in these massively. Are you starting to see uh, that pop up as well as as uh, vehicles for assets? 
a little bit slower. We've been talking a little bit about M- NFTs in our tax group. I really don't know much about them, but it's going to be increasing in popularity over the next few years, I'm sure. What advice would you give to to people who are sort of experimenting in these new areas? You certainly have to be careful and, and as you mentioned, uh, you know, do all the necessary reporting as if it was any other asset. Be smart. It's called cryptocurrency at the end of the day. It's a currency. So use it like you would any other currency and don't jump around all over the place and keep changing from one crypto to another to, to another form of crypto. Uh, be consistent. You know, if you're paying things in crypto, it doesn't mean that you're not paying for something. You're actually paying for a service. You could be paying for a service in crypto. Certain accounting firms are accepting cryptocurrency as a form of payment. And it's going to be popular at one point in time as a form of payment. So, you know, your transaction is still going to be taxable at the end of the day and you'll pay it in cryptocurrency. Fantastic. So that's not an issue. It's just a a regular, uh, another means of payment. Coming up uh, later, we're going to talk about uh, the HR process and recruiting. And uh, this is a technique called the stay interview. This is uh, in uh, Human Resources Director magazine. And this is to counter the phenomenon known as the great resignation. So Ernie, what is uh, what is the the stay system and uh, how can it help with that? Stay system is somewhere in between, you know, it's before the exit interview. If you have an exit interview, that means that the person is already gone and you're trying to figure out what you did wrong with that person so you don't do wrong with the next one. So this stay interview is something in the middle of the process where the, the employee may be in danger of leaving, may not be, and you want to know, you know, with that interview, if they like what they're doing, what keeps them working here, what changes would you make in the environment? So it's it, it's a good interactive process to change while the employee is still there. So you don't have to go through the expense of recruiting another employee. It's very interesting. Uh, when would you say a, an entrepreneur uh, should recognize that a stay interview is necessary? If they hear rumblings with respect to the person wanting to leave, the person's not happy. It's something, it's not an evaluation, it's an interview. So have the interview, have the discussion, Make the, make the right changes and go on with your business because it's important that you keep good employees active, happy, and engaged. Speaking of changes um, and adapting to the great resignation, this from Fast Company, they threw out the idea of, uh, again, uh, the four-day work week. It's been brought up for many years now uh, as a solution to the great resignation. Do you, do you think that's a good idea, Ernie? Do you think uh, the four-day work week will make everyone happier? I think it could make people happier at the end of the day. You know, businesses still work five days a week. So you're going to have to have flexible staff. You know, some people will work Monday to Thursday. Other people will work Tuesday to Friday. And you can have that four-day work week for that employee. And in a lot of cases, you are more productive. There are certain countries in Europe, they, they've had this four-day work week. And people are more productive and they're happier in their lives at work and their lives at home. And lastly, this story from entrepreneur.com, how to use marketing to outsell your competition every time. And they talk about one strategy. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Ernie? Well, you, you want to always improve your ability to transact. You want to create intriguing headlines. You want to build relationships. Relationships are very important because that's what I do in 
in our business here, I build a relationship with a client. I don't sell a product. I don't sell a service. I sell a relationship. So when I have a relationship with a client or at least a strong relationship with that client, I will be able to have multiple touches with that client with respect to any of his financial needs. So it's very important to build that relationship because if you're selling a product, you sell it once, you're done. But if you want to have a customer for life, Yep. Relationships and integrity to marketing. So important. And uh, they, they give some tips here from entrepreneur.com. Be consistent, use social proof, be vulnerable, create more content and share rituals. And um, I think that the, the yeah. be honest with your customer. Yeah, being vulnerable is an interesting point as well. And sharing the rituals, basically, I think there's there's some commonality in those points and basically opening up the hood of your business. I think that's really what millennial and Gen Z employees especially really appreciate and consumers when you sort of give everyone a look under the hood and, and make sure uh, everything is, is, is okay down there. They want to see vulnerability. They want to see a human aspect of things. So if you become more human in, in showing some of this vulnerability, then that's going to be good for you in your business in the long run. Okay. Ready to talk about some high art? Absolutely. Excellent. I, I'm really looking forward to our next entrepreneur. Art Tech is the sector, and Guillaume Parra is the founder of Galea, an online network and distribution center. Again, 9,000 artists, 50,000 pieces in 40 different countries around the world, a really unique service to democratize art. Guillaume, welcome to today's entrepreneur. Thank you for having me. So first, the easiest question, what is Galea? Yeah, so essentially Galia is an art distribution network. We are based on two main pillars. The first one being our online art gallery. So we work with the visual artists that can range from artists doing painting, photography, digital art, and we help them having access to an online platform where they can sell directly online. The second pillar being a network of exhibiting venues. So we partner up with restaurants, hotels, corporate offices in order to exhibit our artists' artworks on their walls and make it fun and interesting for their either their employees, their customers, or their members, where people can then um, be have access to more art, but also learn about the, the artists behind the art pieces and also have the access to purchase them right away with their phone. So it's all about bringing art in the everyday life of potential buyers and to make it accessible to everyone. Yeah, I understand you're, you're an engineer by education. And so now you're in the, in the art business, in the online art business. How does the two of those equate? How do you get there? <laughs> It's a great question. Well, I actually studied engineering here in Montreal at uh, ETS, but I also come from a family of uh, visual artists. So my mother and my grandmother actually teach and practice visual art, but for them, it was uh, difficult. They didn't either have the tools or the, the network to be able to go through that process and live off their creations. And so when I was still studying, I decided to create a business around art. How could technology help other artists be able to not only sell online, but also have more exhibiting opportunities. And I remember at the time I was asking around me, what's the future in the art world? And in 2016 at the time, people were telling me, well, now it's selling online. But for me, in so many other industries, selling online was already being done. And I remember uh, using Airbnb and just booking a, a room online. So like the online aspect of it was really simple and intuitive. But when I got to the destination, I, I had the chance to meet the host, have a bottle of wine, he explained me about the neighborhood. And so I wanted to create this kind of experience around art where you can not only have access to it online, but also in the physical world and creating this network that could bridge those gaps. 
And so I started working on a project and really early on, I had the chance to meet my co-founder, who's uh, Lindsay Chang, uh, now co-founder and director of the operations here at Gallia. Uh, she's a visual artist herself. She was studying psychology as well as business administration. And two exhibitions in a row, people were telling her, well, you got to meet that guy, Guillaume. He has that idea of a tech platform that could definitely uh, uh, help either you or other artists. And so she contacted me. Uh, we sat down and uh, we have been working uh, ever since. When was that? That was in 2017. So yeah, I was. Uh, we are. We were both still at school at the time. Uh, it took some time for us to uh, start uh, building the first iteration of the platform. I remember at the time we had a, a few artists here and there in Montreal, but then from there we grew, and now we have more than 9,000 artists across 45 countries. Fantastic. So tell me about how you wrangle all of this talent. It's a, it should be it must be incredibly difficult to uh, to to keep all of your contributors and all of your artists uh, under the same banner and working within the same system. Yeah. So for us, it's really important to uh, open the barriers. Uh, I think the art world in itself is uh, in some cases a lot about who you know and uh, what school you attended and everything in between. And for us, it was important for any visual artist to have access to a platform where they could uh, distribute and sell. Uh, and how we position ourselves is, so we are opening the gates uh, at first, but afterwards what we do is we do call for candidacies. So when we work with a specific venue, let's say a restaurant, for example, uh, we know now that we create a profile for the said venue where the artist can see uh, how it looks inside and everything, where it is located. And then uh, the venue will uh, also have uh, exhibiting criteria. So the artist will be able to see that a specific venue is looking for, let's say 10 art pieces with a certain style or certain colors, and then through the platform applied directly to the call for candidacies. Afterwards, it's either the venue that select the artworks by themselves, or we help them in the selection process in order for them to have uh, this kind of help on our side. We've been through more than 100 uh, art exhibits so far in different venues across Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa, and Vancouver. And so it's about using our knowledge about uh, exhibiting art pieces to help them in order to create this kind of uh, experience for their uh, employees or customers. Uh, with all of this stuff, you have all these artists exhibiting, you know, you said 8,000. I, th I, I think I read on the website 7,500. So this keeps growing and growing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and you have, and you constantly need to change stuff. You're, it said 35 countries. That's probably more now. Yeah. Um, 45 now. <laughs> 45 countries now, 60 venues. It said it's probably more venues than that. Mm -hmm. How do you make money? Well, the business model is um, simple and uh, complicated at the same time. So because we have three kinds of customers, we could be seen as a triple-sided marketplace. So we have people purchasing artworks, we have visual artists, and we have exhibiting venues. And we found a model that can leverage all of them. So essentially, when you usually go to a traditional brick and mortar art gallery and you purchase art pieces, the gallery usually take 50%, if not more. And for us, um, with the with the energy and the passion that visual artists put into their creations, it didn't make any sense to put, to take more than half of uh, of the pie. And so we decided to have a model where we take a commission that ranged from 20 to 30% on every artwork sales. The second uh, a revenue stream is uh, the artist subscriptions. So the artists can either register for free and have access to the online aspect of the platform, or they can also subscribe to premium or pro plans that range from $10 a month to $15 a month. That 
that reduce the commission that we take, but also provide them with the said exhibiting opportunities. So if they want to exhibit in restaurants, hotels, and whatnot. Also being part of uh, online art collections that we put forward for our uh, uh, art collectors community. And so um, they have access to those. The third one being the exhibiting opportunities or the venues. So we are charging a fee for the uh, exhibiting uh, services that we provide. Uh, it ranges from a bit more of an autonomous approach up to a more concierge approach. So when we look at, uh, let's say, Vancouver, for example, right now we have more than 700 artists. We have restaurants there that are on the autonomous plan. So that what that means is they can select up to five artworks they're the one doing the hanging and they are the one doing the selection on the platform when we look at other kind of uh, venues like hotels for example well they usually want us to help them in the process so we can uh, help them in the selection process we have someone on site to do the hanging part as well they can have up to 30 artworks if not more and that also affect the price so depending on their needs uh, we have the expertise and uh, the, the human resources to help them in that process you're effectively Shopify for artists. <laughs> yeah, in a way. And when we look at data, well, what's amazing is we are now seeing that when artists uh, are taking our subscription and are applying to either uh, visual, uh, virtual exhibitions or physical exhibitions, they tend to sell up to 14 times more. And so we're seeing tremendous value for them. Uh, it's helping them not only sell, but also having this kind of notoriety now because through exhibitions in a few years, they can start by uh, exhibiting their art pieces in a neighborhood cafe and then gain insights from that and then start selling. And then from there, they'll be able to then apply to a corporate office and then to a hotel and then sell internationally. So we have seen those artists going through the Galia platform that can now live of their creations. And for us, that's been a blessing. And Guillaume, you've raised quite a bit of money in recent years as well. Um, 1.5 million in 2021, according to this release from global investors, including Real Ventures. Um, tell me about your your experience uh, going after some of that market and getting some um, some investors from venture capital firms and uh, what that process has been like. Yeah, so in 2019, we saw more and more artists signing up on the platform from everywhere on the globe. and. We thought, what can we do to give them more exhibiting opportunities? Because they were always requesting, when are we getting venues in our own cities? Why is it only Montreal? And so we saw that as a huge opportunity and we decided to to structure the business in order to be venture back ready. And so we did. And in 2020, uh, 2020 we had the chance to be part of Funder Fuel, a startup program here in Montreal. And so we got uh, an incubator round with Funder Fuel that you, they invest $120,000 in the businesses that, that are part of the court. I think we were more than 